Hey, did you guys see me dirt biking in that video? It's was, it was a great trip that we had in the dunes there. <laughs> hey, if you can't preach after that video, you have no business preaching. So uh, anyway, uh, it's going to be a great morning here, here at All Peoples. I'm Kendall. I'm our executive pastor. Robert, you saw in the video, our lead pastor, he is uh, in the Middle East right now at a missions gathering. I'll actually be joining him later this week with our international side of what we partner with here at All Peoples in our Antioch family of churches. So we're looking forward to that. But let me start this uh, this series today with, uh, with a little story. So earlier this year, I set a goal that I was going to be doing some jogging. And so I, I committed to jogging and um, I live in a really hilly area of La Mesa, and actually one of the top CrossFit guys in the country lives on my block, and he always runs up and down the, his hill, and so it's a little intimidating to get started, to say the least, because it's a big hill, but anyway, I, I got going, and so there was grace to do it, and I was in a good rhythm, really, of going a few times a week and uh, kind of you know improving and getting to where I wanted to be. And there's some steps by my house. And so one day I was, I was jogging up and down, feeling confident enough to go up and down some steps. And I'd done that a few days. And this particular day I did that. And I was, and I was going up these steps. All of a sudden I felt this, ooh, this, this sharp pain in my left foot. And I thought, welcome to your mid-30s, Kendall. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I kind of jogged home and, and just kind of, kind of tried to, you know, just be tender with it. I think we had church the next day and I actually sat down most of the, the Sunday morning, which isn't my typical routine because I'm up talking and doing things, but I just needed to let it rest and moved from jogging, tried the elliptical. That didn't really help. It was still really hurting, you know, tried swimming, did different things, but I, I was really having a lot of pain in, in my foot. And so fast forward to this summer, this summer, uh, we were at a wedding, my wife Shelly and I, and then we had another meeting. So anyway, we found ourselves in New York City for a day and we were walking around and my foot had been bothering me that day because we, we had done a lot of walking. And we walked by a new balance store. I have my new balance shoes on today, all right? So, um, so we went to a new balance store and we went in and this is kind of their flagship Manhattan store. So they have all their technology there and you know, they're shoe consultants and they're helping people. And so we go in and they, I tell them about my issue and they scan my foot and there's all this kind of technology that they use to assess what kind of shoe you should be wearing. So I went through their different tests. And then as I finished up, they walked me towards the wall where the kind of shoes I should be wearing to run on concrete are, and they were not the cool, minimal shoe that I wanted to wear. It was the, the shoe with the big, thick, white, uh, you know, buffer here in between you and the concrete, but they explained to me that, you know, this is going to be better for me. So I, I put them on, put them on, and, you know, they, they really kind of started to help. So I started jogging again, and amazingly, there's no pain in my foot. And furthermore, I've improved my time by 20%, so that's good too, and what a testimony. So... But, but what, what I experienced uh, just in, in those short few weeks was what happens in life when we find our fit, right? It, there's a spiritual parallel, though, a little coaching, a little equipping, a wisdom from another person, getting the right tools, and you can find your fit. You can get into your groove and begin to use your gifts and your talents more effectively for God. 
And so that's what this series, Find Your Fit, is, is all about. And so you're going to be hearing from different ones of our leaders. And the reason is, is because we all find our fit in different ways. Maybe this morning is going to be about getting rocked, about finding your fit by finding God's power. And, you know, maybe, maybe that's a way that you'll find your fit as you step out in the things God has for you. Next week, we're very excited. You're going to get to hear from our worship pastor, Stephen Gully. And he's going to be talking about finding your fit in community by getting real. So that's going to be great. And uh, we'll just continue on this series prior to, prior to Christmas. So it'll be, it'll be a great time to be together. I think where Jason is going to be with us the next weekend. So that's going to be excellent. Going to be a great time. So finding your fit by finding God's power. Will you pray with me just as we open the scriptures and ask God to teach us this morning? Lord, we do uh, invite you into this space we have, these few minutes we have together, and pray that your Holy Spirit would instruct us through your word. And Lord, we do ask that your power would be revealed in our life in a new way after this message. In Jesus' name, amen. Finding your fit by finding God's power. So we're going to look for a few moments at someone that did find their fit and encountered God in a powerful way. We're going to look at a few examples from the life of Moses. And an interesting thing about Moses is Moses was a natural leader. He was raised in a very prominent household, right? The household of Pharaoh had an amazing education, a lot of gifts and talents. He was born in adverse circumstances. He had an amazing kind of origin story. And there was a lot of reasons why Moses should have been an incredible leader. But we pick up his story in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, and he's really not doing much of anything with his life. Um, he's actually at a, at a low point, and that's where we find him in Exodus chapter 3. Let's start there. Verse 1 says this, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So here, here's kind of how I picture this the far side of the wilderness. You know, the Bible made a special point to say that. And I kind of picture the emotional journey of Moses. You know, he's running from his past. He had, had, a, he had, had made a major mistake that he had left Egypt as a result of. He is probably not in the location he thought he was going to live at in life. Probably wondered, is he in the right location? Maybe you've wondered that before. He, he probably wasn't doing the work that he thought he would be doing with his life, right? He had probably spoke multiple languages, this amazing education, being raised in, in Pharaoh's house, and yet here he is leading a few sheep on the far side of the wilderness. So Moses hits midlife, and he's not really amounted to much, probably in his eyes. He's, of course, taking care of his family, working in the family shepherding business, but he's making no significant impact in his life, or probably he thinks he's not. And so I, I just tried to put myself emotionally at where Moses probably was coming from this week. And then I realized, I think a lot of us feel this way. A lot of us feel like we're outside of our fit. Am I in the right place? Am I, am I in the right job? Am I doing the right thing with my life? I, I, and and don't be discouraged if that's where you are today. We're going to see how God invades Moses' life, brings an encounter into his life, and helps him find his fit. Let's keep looking at verse 2. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Don't come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. 
Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Interesting response. The Lord said, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. You know, this might be a word for someone here this morning that God sees your suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. It's amazing. God steps into Moses's life with an invitation, an invitation to experience his power. You know, I I love um, leadership. I love when people talk about maximizing their strengths and you know, really trying to set goals. And there's a huge industry that revolves around that. And I think that's a really good thing when people are trying to move their life forward with, with wisdom and do that. But I think what's interesting is actually it wasn't Moses that initiated. It wasn't Moses that set a goal. It wasn't Moses that found his fit. It was the fact that God stepped into his world. And so one of the reasons we want to find God's power is because God may have a different fit than we have in mind for ourselves. God gives Moses an invitation. I think it's really interesting. There's this burning bush, this supernatural experience. And then it says this, that the Lord didn't do anything until Moses went over to look. God waited for Moses' response. You know, how many times maybe God's trying to do something supernatural in our life, but we, we don't stop and look. We blow right by it. We're, we're not... Looking, we're not aware of an invitation that God may have for us to experience his power in a significant way. But the Lord waited. He didn't force himself on Moses. He, he, did, he was patient with them. He waited for Moses to stop and look. I think that's really interesting. It was an invitation that Moses had a choice to respond to. Moses had his burning bush. But I find that God gives people many invitations to experience his power in significant ways. One story from our church recently was a, a guy, a friend of mine that was in our school of transformation. That's our, our nine-month kind of ministry discipleship transformation school here at the church. The tagline is transform people, transform nations. So people do the school for all kinds of different reasons, but this particular guy was not jumping into the school of transformation really to say, I need the power of God. That's not what he was thinking about. He was actually a little freaked out by that. He, he was more thinking, you know, this is going to help me with some biblical equipping. I'm going to be a better father and a better husband and, you know, just kind of be a good Christian man, which is, those are good goals. But he wasn't thinking about God's power being activated in his life. But something happened to him. In the middle of the school of transformation, he started having dreams. And at first he had a dream that he was involved in a particular real estate deal. And then a few weeks later, he had another dream. There was a warning about that deal, that something happened. And then he had a dream a few weeks later that there was a promise, something significant that was going to happen because of this real estate deal. And then uh, it oh, I had many, many dreams about this. And he and I were dialoguing about it. And it finally culminated in a fact where he had a dream where he was sitting at a table looking at a specific sheet of paper with a specific number on it concerning the real estate deal, an offer amount. And he found himself in an office a few months later, sitting at a very similar table, looking at a sheet of paper with that exact same number on it. And, you know, scientists will say you actually can't read a number in a dream. So we know this was something supernatural that God was doing. 
Interesting, God was inviting him into an experience of his power for him to see his power moved in his life in this particular marketplace transaction. So, so invitations from God come in all kinds of different ways. Moses had his burning bush. My friend, God gave him, gave him a dream and started to speak to him in a powerful way. For me, I didn't have a burning bush. I had a burning book. This is how it happened. 2003, I was studying abroad in England and had the opportunity to do that. It was a great experience. And I'd just started dating my wife, Shelly. So the only drawback of that time is we didn't have FaceTime or iMessage. So the long distance bill was like crazy because we were talking. And anyway, so some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. So I'll just move on. <laughs> but, but anyway, so we, there we were. And I, I was touring different churches and, you know, historic things as you might do. And I ended up in this one particular town visiting this church. And in, in England, a lot of the churches are historic. And so they have bookstores and gift shops. And you know, that's part of the experience of touring them. And so I was in the gift shop of this church. And in the gift shop of this church, I looked, I looked at kind of around the room and there was this little purple book in the corner and it just kind of stuck out to me. It was like a kind of like a blinking light. Like, I don't know if this ever happened to you. You've been somewhere, something just kind of like, you piques your interest and you have to go grab it. And so that's what I did. I, I went and grabbed that purple book and, and I looked at the cover and it was, it was a historic account of a man. It said, the fire of the North, the life of St. Cuthbert. So I bought the book and, and a few hour train ride back to, to where I was staying at the time. So on that train ride, I read this little 65, 70 page book three times. And I started to read it and I started to see a story about a man named Cuthbert who lived in England in three and 400 AD. And God used him in a powerful way to transform his nation. He would, he would speak power. He would speak powerfully to the powers that be, to kings and queens and princes. God would use him to, to bring supernatural healing into people's lives. God used him to, to turn whole cities towards God, to start entire movements of churches and discipleship. And, and I, I was riveted by it. I didn't, I didn't know these kind of stories existed or these kind of things had happened in history in this kind of a dramatic way. So that was the first reading. And the second reading, I thought, now I need to make sure this is biblical. So I got out my Bible and I got out my book and every miracle I saw in the book, I, I tried to find a Bible reference for. So I was just kind of scraggling and all the, all the margins. And I'm sure I looked like a mad scientist to everyone else on the plane, but I was I, on the train, but I was riveted just making all these notes. So by the third reading, I'd gotten back to where I was staying. And I just remember flipping open the back of the book and writing this. Cuthbert was a man just like me. And under that, I wrote out of James chapter five, Elijah was a man just like me. And I remember getting on my knees that day in England and just praying to God and saying, God, you didn't love Cuthbert more than me. You didn't love Elijah more than me. God, if you will, will you put your fire on my life in such a way that I could be used to bring your power in other people like the way you use this man to? I found a burning book. It was, it was an invitation. But you know, what we think oftentimes is God's gonna give us an invitation and then the next week, everything is gonna change. <laughs> Thank you for that laughter. And what I find is God gives us an invitation because Romans chapter four says, we serve a God that calls things that are not as though they are. And so what it does, it initiates a process of transformation in our life. And so Moses 
has these three signs that God shows him. And these signs signify or prophetically symbolize to us today a process of transformation I think God would have us go through in order to demonstrate his power to the world around us. And and the the three things I feel like God would show us or three, uh, three issues he would address here would be ignorance, identity, and independence. Ignorance, identity, and independence. A part of the journey of us being people that demonstrate and walk out in the power of God. So ignorance. I love God and Moses and this interaction they have because God speaks to Moses and he starts to, he starts to speak to him and Moses immediately responds with all of his insecurities. And they, they have this back and forth and, and it's not really an argument, but it's almost this kind of back and forth of answers and questions. And then finally, God answers Moses' question with a question. Has anyone ever done that to you? Answered your question with a question, right? You're, it's kind of bewildering, but anyway, that's what happens. And when God asks a question, right, you know, he knows the answer. So he's trying to point something out to you. So we, we find God's question to Moses in Exodus 4. Moses has another question for God. He says, what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? What's that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. God answers Moses' questions with a question, what's in your hand? And I think this is significant for us because Moses was unaware, he was ignorant of the power that lay in his very hands. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter four. He said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So, so God has given us something powerful. He's made something available to us, the kingdom of heaven, his power, his resources that transform the world around us. But many times we are ignorant and unaware. Just to look at the New Testament, this is, what, this is what Paul wrote to the early church, one of the leaders of the early church. He said this about an issue that the early church was ignorant and unaware of. 1 Corinthians 12, now about the gifts of the spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Some translations say, I don't want you to be unaware. Other translations say, I don't want you to be confused. And even other translations says, I don't want you to be ignorant. About, about spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be ignorant. Once a spiritual gift, the Bible scholar defines them this way. A spiritual gift is any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. So we can be ignorant of the power of God that is available to us. And, and sadly, actually, statistically speaking, most Christians are. Uh, the, the Barna group, which is a, a group that surveys the beliefs of Christians in America, they did a survey of millennial Christians. Okay. So if you're not a millennial in here, I'm letting you off the hook, but, um, millennial Christians, and this is what they found. Millennial Christians believed about the spiritual gifts. 15% of them said they did not know any of their spiritual gifts. 28% said they believed in spiritual gifts, but they did not personally have one. I think those people just need a hug. And then 20% of others said that the spiritual gifts are not in the Bible. So you add that up, 63% of young Christians in our nation are ignorant 
about the spiritual gifts. If God has given us the gifts of the spirit for the strengthening of the church and the furthering of the kingdom of God, don't you think this could be one of the biggest ploys of the devil today? Because this is what I know. God wants a strong church. He wants an active church, a church that's going to extend his kingdom. So I want to invite you into a journey of understanding the spiritual gifts. I don't have much time to go through it, but just, just a basic biblical introduction for you. And I think this is a journey God may have you on for a number of years. This is a new topic for you, but there's several lists of the spiritual gifts. Here's one list in 1 Corinthians 12. Now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. So the Holy Spirit gives gifts and, and abilities to people for the common good, for the improvement of all people. To one, there is given a spirit of message of wisdom, to another knowledge by means of the same spirit, to another faith, to another gifts of healing by that one spirit. We can continue. To another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing or discernment between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. I like how the message translation says it. It says, each person is giving something to do that shows who God is. Everyone gets in on it and everyone benefits. All kinds of things are handed out by the spirit to all kinds of people. Amen. That's God's heart is to empower his church with gifts and abilities to, to, to bring the kingdom into the lives of other people. So one, one story, um, there's a young man that was new at the church and his first event at the church, I'm not sure why, was our prayer and fast night. So he just jumped right into all peoples and said, I'm going to fast and I'm going to come to the prayer night at the end of the fast. So he went on a fast with us and found himself at a taco shop at the end of the fast. And as he was there, he was there with numerous people that are part of our church. And so he saw a woman there and, and assumed that she was part of the church. She actually wasn't. But as he looked at her, he just had all of these mental thoughts and impressions come into his mind and heart about her life. And after a few minutes, he started realizing, oh, I think God is speaking to me. And so he went over and he talked to her and he ministered to her and he prayed for her with the group and, and God's spirit showed up and started working in this woman's life. She was powerfully touched by the presence of God. He, he was previously ignorant or unaware. God may speak to him this way, but he's growing in his understanding of his spiritual gifts, right? That's what God would have for all of us. He would invite us into a journey of knowing what our, our gifts, what, what the abilities that God has given us are. Actually, it says in the scriptures in 1 Corinthians 14 to eagerly desire these gifts because they're, they help people. So you might be wondering, how do I know my spiritual gifts? Three M's. I'm going to give them to you. These are not on a slide. You might want to jot them down. Three M's, ways you can know your spiritual gifts. The first one is motivation. So you have a motivation. You have a desire for God to use a certain gift in your life. Maybe it's teaching or leadership or generosity or serving or whatever. You may say, I have this desire to, to grow in, in healing or serving or whatever. Well, guess what? The desire to be used by God is from God, Right? Don't do like a religious ninja move and talk, to yourself, talk yourself out of it and be like, oh, I'm, I just need to be humble and not have that desire. No, God wants to use you. There's a broken and hurting world out there. We can't get in our heads, okay? So if God's giving you a desire to be used by him, that desire is from him, okay? So motivation. The next one is ministry. So people are coming to you for a certain type of ministry. That means you have that gift because people are noticing it. They're pulling on it, right? If people are coming to you for healing prayer, don't just refer them to Mitsu, right? But 
He's someone in our church that leads our healing room. But instead, you pray for him. If people are coming to you for counseling, if people are coming to you, you understand, if people are coming to you for a reason, they're sensing the presence of God in your life on that area. Right? Here's another way you might know your gifts, manifestation. What do I mean by that? I just mean God is demonstrating himself through you in that area. If you find yourself in life group praying for someone and God is giving you words of encouragement for people regularly, then guess what? You have that gift. And now it's time for you to grow in that gift and eagerly desire it more. But we can be ignorant. I, I just want to look at this example of Moses' staff for a quick minute. So we've already covered Moses was a natural leader. The staff represents his leadership. And it also represents his regular vocational work, right, as a shepherd. And it's in his hands. It's representing self-strength and self-control. So what happens? He throws down the staff and it becomes a snake. Weird story, right? So he throws down the staff and it becomes a snake. So what's that all about? Well, when we look at the snake in scripture, it is a very specific symbol for the curse. And so this is what God is showing Moses. You, you have some natural strengths, you have some natural abilities, but you know what? I wanna show you something. They're actually cursed. Your own self-strength won't win the day. It can't transform the world around you. So we think we can figure out, that's what Jason was talking about the offering. We think we can strive and make things happen in our life, but, but actually the Bible says we should repent of our dead works. And so he throws down his strength, his ability, his talents, and he sees a curse. Then what does God do? He says, pick it up by the tail. Okay, public service announcement. Please do not pick up a snake by its tail. It will bite you. So, so why does Moses pick up the snake by its tail? Well, it's an act of faith. He picks it up by the tail. It turns back into the staff. He picks it up by the tail and God transforms the head. God blesses the very area that was cursed and brings transformation into Moses's strengths and natural talents. He makes them supernatural. Amen. So that's what God wants to do with us. He's looking for our surrender. He's looking for our open-handedness and he will come and bring transformation. Even in your vocational work, I've, we've had a, a friend um, who's been helping us do a renovation on a bedroom and bathroom. He's a Christian man, contractor, and it's amazing to see how God is using him in his work. So I'm always hearing worship music all day, just unashamed there. And it's not just like playing in the background. It's like, you know, I am a child of God. They're like worshiping, you know, as they're in my house, which is awesome. And, and then I'm, I'm going in on their lunch break, maybe to touch base with them on something. And they're, they're sitting down, you know, in my house on the work site, doing a Bible study on spiritual warfare. Think of that amazing, you know, they're doing discipleship. They're training in just their natural strengths. They're inviting God into the process. And my favorite example was um, one of the guys that was working in our house was named Alfredo. And, and I went through my fence one day and Alfredo was, was sitting on my grass with a guitar, just worshiping his heart out to God on his break for the day. I thought that's a lot like David, you know, <laughs> they, they, they've invited God into the process of their workplace and God is, is working there in their life. So Moses was called to be a shepherd, but, but God transforms what he's able to do so he can shepherd many, many people. 
Okay, so God deals with our ignorance. He invites us into the process of learning and determining how the spirit works in our life and learning and determining our own spiritual gifts. And the next thing we see with Moses is God deals with his identity. So I mentioned earlier that as, as Moses gets this call from God, this invitation, immediately all his insecurities surface. Insecurity is just false security revealed. So what we start seeing is Moses was pretty secure of himself for a while, but God's call on his life started to reveal his insecurity. Exodus 3.11, Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the, Israel out of, bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Exodus 3.13, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? Exodus 4.1, what if they don't believe me and listen to me? Later that in the story, Moses just says, God, can you please send someone else? Like, I'm not good at public speaking, you know, please, you know. And, and he's pleading with God because of his insecurity. And so here, here's where we see the next sign of, of what the Lord would show Moses and what he would show us today. Verse six of Exodus chapter four. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand in his cloak and we took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become white as snow. Now put it back in your cloak. So he said, so Moses put a hand back in his cloak and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Isn't that interesting? I, I imagine Moses many days on the far side of the wilderness had looked down at his hands because those hands had killed. They were a murderer's hands. And I imagine he looked at those hands and said, I'm, I'm cursed. God can't use me. I've had my shot. Moses needed a new understanding of his identity. So, so God shows him that he has the power to transform flesh. In the new covenant, in the new Testament, maybe we can say it this way. We are new creations in Jesus Christ. The old, the cursed, the sinful part of this, of us has gone. The new has come. Therefore, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. Followers of Jesus Christ have a new identity. We are not just victims that struggle with sin and sinners barely making it into heaven saved by grace. We are saints who are called to rule and reign with Jesus Christ through an abundance of grace. We will reign in life, the Bible says. Our lack of understanding of our identity oftentimes keeps God from using us. So the, the war is really in our head. The war is with our own beliefs, what we believe about ourselves. So that brings me to the story of Spider-Man. <laughs> my kids are in this major superhero phase, okay? They're just all into superheroes. If you were to have dinner at my house, the question would be, what's your superpower? And we would talk about it. And one person wants to fly, another person wants to teleport. We all have our ideas about what the best power is. I have a picture, my kids. There we go. Look at these super kids right here. So it's interesting because they haven't had much exposure to superhero movies or anything like that, but they just, there's something innate in us, right? That, that wants to believe that we have some special powers that change the world. You know what I'm talking about? And so that's in them. And so I let them watch this little Spider-Man cartoon the other day. And so they're, they're on the couch watching this Spider-Man cartoon and a narrator comes on to start the cartoon. And this is what the narrator says. Have you ever felt lonely, fearful, 
disempowered. So my kids are sitting on the couch and one of them just looks at the TV and goes, no. That's the power of identity. Uh, of course, I know they feel that way at times. I'm their dad, but, but they know that's not who they are, right? This is what the Bible says about how you are. I've been doing a study on identity for the last years, and these are just some declarations that I say over myself. I want to I wanna say them over you today because your identity in Christ is powerful and significant, and if you get it, you will be equipped to walk out in the power of God. The Bible says this, we are saints. We have grace and peace. We've been already blessed with every spiritual blessing. We're chosen. We're holy and blameless before God. We've been adopted into God's family. We are beloved by God. We've been redeemed and forgiven through his blood. We have lavishly received grace. We have a purpose. We know the mystery of God's will. We have an inheritance. We are the praise of Christ's glory. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. We have a heavenly father. We have wisdom. We have revelation. We have eyes that see what God is doing. We have hope and a calling. We have glorious riches. We have God's power working towards us. We have Christ as our head. We are Christ's body. We have received Christ's fullness. We are loved with a great love. We are spiritually alive. We are seated in heavenly places. We've received a free gift from God. We have more grace and kindness than can be measured. We are God's workmanship. We're created to do good works. God shows Moses something about his identity and he's wanting to show us something about our identity today so we don't disqualify ourselves from being used by him in a powerful way. So just to round the corner here, the last thing God addresses is the issue of independence. The final sign that God shows to Moses, Exodus chapter four. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they don't believe the two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Okay, interesting. One Bible commentator said this. The third miracle of the water turned into blood provided assurance that God would humiliate the Egyptians by spoiling what they regarded as the divine source of life. The Egyptians identified the Nile River with the Egyptian god Osiris and credited it with all good and prosperity in their natural, na- national life. The Nile River, it, it represented the, the, the religion of Egypt. They worshiped it as a divine river of life. The, the Nile River was also the source of their prosperity. It was, it was uh, full of natural resources and one of the reasons that Egypt was secured as a global superpower during this time. It was their source of provision. It was their source of independence. And interestingly enough, it has a very significant meaning in Moses' life. Early on, when Moses was a baby, he was put in that river to be delivered from infanticide that was happening in Egypt at that time. And, and there was a woman that was, that was in that river, the Pharaoh's daughter, 
and she was actually bathing and found this baby and saved him. And so this river is also a place of purification. It's also a place of cleansing. This is what I think God is saying. After he turns this water into blood, exchange your, your independence, your self-strength. It's a message to Moses. It's also a message to Egypt. And bring it into dependence on me. You can't purify yourself. You can only be purified by the blood of Jesus Christ. This is what Hebrews 9 says. Just think of how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. God invites Moses into this interaction. Band, we can come up. God invites Moses into this this interaction. He, He invites him to experience his power, but he says, there's some issues I'm gonna deal with first. The first is your ignorance. You need to understand how and why I wanna use you. Secondly, we're gonna speak to your identity, Moses. You're no longer a murderer. I've redeemed you and restored you. And then the final thing is is he addresses this issue of independence. He says, Moses, I'm gonna give you these signs so the entire nation knows that I am the source of life, that life is in the power of my blood, not in the natural world or in self-strength. We please stand. Just all morning, what we've been doing is just inviting people who need to make that exchange, who need to put down their staff and say, God, I want to pick up your staff. Put down their self-strength and say, God, I want to pick up your strength. Just to come to the front and get on their knees. It's just a, a, a physical response. Just like God told Moses to put down his staff, I think he's inviting us this morning to come to the front and make that exchange with him. This is your private moment with God. I'm not going to point you out, but it's just an invitation. You can just come now. Just start to do business with God. Just repent of your self-strengths. Repent of your dead works. Give them to God. Ask him to show you. Some of you, your work has been cursed. There's a snake in your staff and you're just realizing it this morning. This is your time to come forward and say, God, I don't want this operating in my life anymore. I pick up your strength. I pick up your power. And just as everyone's responding, that, that last point, about independence, about the blood of Jesus. Maybe you're someone that's never accepted Jesus Christ. You've never never walked into the power of his blood and said, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I wanna follow you. If you've never done that, I wanna invite you to pray with me right now. You can just pray something like this, just under your voice right now. No one's looking around. You can just say, Jesus, I give you my life. I put my sins under the power of your blood. Thank you for dying on the cross for me and forgiving me. Thank you for resurrecting into new life and making a way for me to be in heaven. I give you my whole heart and I pray you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit. Amen.